Welcome to those of you who are watching from Classic. Let me introduce my friend, Mel Moxness. Mel is one of our... Uh, yes, there you go. So you already know Mel. Mel works uh, with navigators on CU's campus, a uh, familiar face here in our church for much of her life. Her folks are uh, also on our staff across the world, um, extended missionary staff at Calvary. Mel's been working up on CU's campus and a lot of great things are happening. I asked Mel to tell us some of the things that are going on campus. Thanks, Pastor Tom. You're welcome. It's such a privilege to be able to worship with you all and to be able to see what God is doing in Boulder. And I remember you said, Pastor Tom, a couple weeks ago, um, as we began studying Acts, that it's great what God was doing then and we love what God is doing then, but it's not just something to be admired. It's something that we get to believe God wants to do in our day. Amen. So we're just believing God wants to do it at CU Boulder. Um, and my brother-in-law recently asked me, what's one thing you've learned in your first year in ministry? And I said, without God, nothing is possible, but with him, anything is possible. And I just feel like I've been seeing that happen, and I want to share one story with you all this morning. Um, it goes, it starts with a girl named Emily. She's a junior in the Navigators and a leader in the environmental design program at CU. And she met Sarah, who was a freshman last year, um, in a mentoring relationship through the ENVD program. And in their first meeting, um, Sarah found out that Emily was a believer and said, I want to be involved in what you're involved in. Um, she was a believer and just searching for community. And they developed just this discipleship relationship over that year. And Sarah began to get, get a heart to reach out to other students in ENVD. And she, she saw this girl, Katie, and they had every class together. And Sarah was like, I'm going to be friends with her. <laughs> and they developed a really sweet friendship. We're in the same hall, spent many hours over homework. And Katie had no religious background. Um, but Sarah just began investing in her inviting her to Bible study. She never came to Bible study, but she started to come occasionally to a group hangout time. And this fall, Sarah um, was living with Katie and just praying. We were all praying that Katie would come to know Jesus. And at our fall conference, um, Katie agreed to come and gave her life to Christ. Ooh. And it was after a year of prayer and begging God to work. Um, I remember when they came up to me after she gave her life to Christ, and I just shrieked. I think the whole YMCA can hear me. <laughs> um, and now um, Sarah told me just recently, she's like, Mel, I have the same classes as this girl, M. And I want her to come to know Jesus. Yeah. And so now um, we're praying that M comes to know Jesus. And so God is just really building his church in the environmental design program at CU. Um, and we're just believing him for great things. So thank Amen. you. Amen. How about that? Stay here. I want to pray for you. No, stay here. Stay here. <clears throat> and 3,000 came to Christ that day. Um, so... Here's CU, one student at a time. That's what we're praying for. And all of Boulder. And aren't you glad that we have friends like Mel who are on the campus? Um, just get a little more enthusiastic, okay? <laughs> all right, so we want to pray for Mel and the navigators and crew. Uh, we have members of our church who are part of all these ministries and others too, Stumo. And let's pray together for God's work. Father, so thankful to hear from Mel today. And the work you're doing in her life and her staff and uh, the beautiful way that she's touching the lives of others with the sweet 
grace of Jesus. And I pray one student at a time, see you will know the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ the Lord. And uh, we pray that for that particular part of our community and every neighborhood in our town and all around the front range that the beautiful message of the transforming gospel of Jesus will go forward and change lives um, until all know that you are the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray your blessing on them and every ministry there and on our time together as we open the word of God and we give thanks to you for all of it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mal. Yeah. Okay, I thought you needed to hear that. That's what it's about. That's what we're here for. So if you have your Bible, let's open to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And today we're going to look at the last few verses of this chapter in order to understand what the church was really like in the first century. This is the the statement about what the church was like. And uh, that verse I quoted a minute ago was Acts 2.41. So those who received the word about the gospel were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It was a great surge of people who heard the message of Jesus, surrendered their life to him, were baptized, and joined the church. And verse 42 then says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The they here are the 120 from chapter 1, and then the 3,000 who were added to them. It's the new growing movement of those who in this section are first to be called, a word Mel used, believers. Those who believed. What did they believe? They believed that Jesus died and rose again to forgive us of our sins and to live within us as a reigning Savior of our lives and to give us the Holy Spirit. They were believers that there is hope in Jesus. And that's the defining feature of the they there. That there they are people who said to Jesus, I trust you, I believe in you. And right now today you're here and you have or you haven't. And if you haven't, I want to lay before you the beautiful possibility that this very day you could call on the name of the Lord and be saved from your sins and know for sure that you have eternal life. That's what they knew. They followed him in baptism and then they devoted themselves to four or five commitments. And the reason that we're marching through this, as Mel said, with a glimpse of the history but with a realization of today that believers in Jesus today must live with these same commitments in our life if the church is to continue. There's a lot of bad news about the church. We talked about it several weeks ago that people think the church is dying, that everybody's leaving the church and it's going to die an unceremonious death. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That would have been a good place to say amen. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. The question is, will you be part of it? And you're being part of it, I think, is following in the pattern of the first century when the they devoted themselves to these things. 
The consumeristic church in America will die. But the church that is comprised of sincerely believing, devoted disciples who commit themselves to the things that the Bible prescribes, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to be a part of that church. Devoted means this sense of continuing in something even when there appears that it might be difficult. Intense effort with the possible implication that even in spite of difficulty, I keep on going and I persist in it with systematic, regular activity toward an end to do with devotion, to give oneself to, to do it with eagerness. They devoted themselves to these things. Now here it is, it's, it's uh, February 2nd. So we're into the second month of 2020. Just reflect for a moment on your January 1 resolutions. And this is the, the month that a lot of people start to look back and say, whoops, what just happened? And it takes a persistent devotion to pursue the transitions that you're going to make in a New Year's resolution. And it takes devotion, persistence, even when it's hard. And following Jesus is sometimes hard. And I just want to call you, as we look at what they committed themselves to, let's make a mental note. This is what it will take for Calvary Bible Church to be a church in which people are added to the church every year. Added to the, the contingent of people who say, I know Jesus now. They were committed to four things. And I want to highlight them. At least there's four in here. I think there's one more in the verses that follow. So here they are. The first is the apostles' teaching. Apostolic teaching, which is what they had because the apostles were there as the foundation of the church and they are teaching. And if you don't know your Bible... Uh, um, entirely yet, the first four books of your New Testament tell the life of Jesus. This is the most instrumental book about what happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus that the church began, and then all the rest of the New Testament are letters by the apostles to the church that prescribe how the church should conduct itself as the house of God and the pillar and the ground of the truth. The apostolic letters, which is all the rest of your New Testament, are the teaching that they gave in this situation and then throughout the first century. They're captured for us in our Bible. So when I say they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching, to the teaching that the apostles gave, we have captured in the New Testament the teaching of the apostles. So, it makes perfect sense that for us to be the church that triumphs and that lives out God's ideal for his congregation, that we are devoted to the apostles' teachings, which is this. Which is why Paul said in one place, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and at his kingdom... Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. That's the role of um, 
of any preacher or life group leader or every parent is to open the word and to say it and to cut it clearly, open it up so that we can see what it is. There are a lot of people who say, well, I don't know, the Bible's really confusing. It's really not. It's not that complicated if you... Yeah, you might have to devote yourself to it. But if you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and to the word of God, it's going to do a beautiful thing. That's why Peter said, as newborn babes long for the pure milk, you long for the spiritual milk of the word, of the word of God that you may grow in respect to salvation. And to all of us, present yourself to God, a workman, rightly dividing, rightly separating the word of God so that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Do you understand that the, the way this church will be rooted and grounded for the years to come in a time when the world is increasingly confused about what's true? Would you agree with me? Okay, the world is increasingly confused about what's real and what is true. It's the Word of God that's a guide for us to know how to live. There's a confusion today about who God is. And many people think that God is me, that we are gods. No. No, we know ourselves too well. There's confusion about who we are as people. There's an identity crisis, which leads to identity. Yeah. There's an identity crisis. There are relational crises. People don't understand why money does not satisfy. People don't understand how to use their time and to redeem it for really meaningful purposes. People don't understand that we will not live on earth forever and that on the other side of that, there really is something that awaits. There's complete confusion about so many things that are crucial to defining what is real. And if you, you know, we we all live in this world where there's such confusion And it reminds me of what Jesus said about his day, that people are wandering around aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. It feels like that sometimes. When I listen to a worldview that totally disregards God's place in it, it's the confusion of the day about truth and reality that the apostolic teaching, the word of God, brings clarity to. Your word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet. By taking heed to it, I know how to live. Right? Okay, so to what extent? This is a rhetorical question, which means don't answer out loud. To what extent could you assess your devotion to this book? It's easy. It's easy. You just know. Do I meditate on your... He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. In his word, he meditates day and night. Okay, this is a broken record, right? You've been at Calvary? What's her middle name? Yeah, it's Bible. But we have to live it. We have to read it. We have to know it. They devoted themselves to the reading of the scriptures, to the apostolic teaching. Secondly, And to the fellowship, to the fellowship, it's the fellowship, which is, the word is koinonia, 
a, a fancy Greek word which means the shared life of a group of people. It's the community life together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship with each other. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that has existed for as long as Calvary has, 130 years, and we have never had a, a, a split in our congregation. We've had some tense moments, right? We, we haven't always seen eye to eye on certain things. I think we're going to get to heaven, and um, we're all going to be rebuked for our view of music. <laughs> and I'm going to say, why did, why did you wrangle about that? It's me that you worship. Anyway. We haven't had that. We admit that we'll never see eye to eye on everything, but we have charity. But on the big things we agree, and on the things we don't agree on, we give latitude and charity to one another because we, because a new camp commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. That was the last words of Jesus. A new commandment. Why is it new to love one another? Israel certainly knew that they should love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another as I have loved you. Ooh, that's the newness. The newness is we love like Jesus loves. What's that? You, you must be willing to sacrifice on behalf of others. And that creates a fellowship. That creates a shared life. A church without a fellowship, without the sense of loving one another, serving one another in this kind of way is going to die. But a church that can live as a fellowship that shares life with each other, that comes alongside one another in the pains that life brings is a church that people who don't know anything about that want to be a part of. Can I say that again? The church where fellowship exists in a deep and meaningful way is the very place that, that those in the community who don't know that kind of agape selfless love, they want to be a part of that. By this will all men know that you really are my disciples, everybody, if you have love one for another. And if you didn't know that, see point one above. Okay, the fellowship. I could take you through the Bible and give you about 25 references to this little phrase that's found again and again in the Bible, one another, one another, one another. Um, let me take you to a couple. Keep your finger here in Acts. Turn to the right to the next book in your Bible, Romans, and Romans chapter... Um, why don't we start in Romans chapter 12. Let me just give you, if, for as long as you will stay with me here, okay? Are you with me still? Okay. We talk about fellowship. It's, it has... On the one hand, it has very little to do with food. And it has everything to do with the disposition of our hearts. That said, food was always an important part of the context in which life was shared. Eating, drinking, co uh, communing together with people was in the context over and over again. The Last Supper, which we're going to celebrate, was a meal. Anyway... The heart of these are found here, 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Ha, work harder than others to honor others. 
That's quite a call. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I've said this many times, but your home is the most valuable resource God has given you for which you're responsible, through which you can show hospitality to strangers. And the church community always was the kind of community that welcomed in others into the home so that the home could be the place where the love of God could be shared over a meal or over shared concerns. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Chapter 13, verse 9, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Chapter 14, verse 19. So then let us pursue the things that make for peace and the mutual upbuilding. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to, uh, in accord with Christ so that together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, that's one book, and I, I dreamt of giving you all 25, but I'm going to stop. You just get your little concordance out and track it out, loving one another, serving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. Nowhere does it say criticize one another. It says love and encourage and use your gifts to serve each other. They devoted themselves to that. So, another rhetorical question. How would you rate yourself on fellowship, sharing life? Are you in a life group? Are you in a small circle? We learn here on Sunday morning, every week I pray when I stand up to preach and we're sitting in rows, we learn in rows. But we grow in circles where you're in a small group sharing your life. And I know that it's hard to open up your life to someone else. But when you open up your life to someone else and say, I need help, that's when the beauty of the reality of the church can do its thing. When people have crisis, it's the church's finest hour to say, I love you. I will serve you. I will pray for you. I will encourage you. And I want to call us, um, let us love one another. You with me? The church that loves one another will not die. Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In just a few moments, we're going to do just that. I believe that in this case, these words are given to us, uh, back to Acts chapter 2, the breaking of bread, and it's somewhat differentiated from verse 46 where it says, and attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. I think the breaking of bread here is a specific reference to the Lord's Supper, which he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And in a moment, we're going to take this bread and we're going to eat it together, and it will be the reminder of Christ's death for us. We'll drink this cup. It'll be the reminder of his shed blood for us. And they devoted themselves to this breaking of the bread, which I think is the Eucharist, the communion, the remembering of the Lord's Supper so that they would be a church that always had as first importance, Christ died for us. The defining feature of the church that will not die 
is the church that lives because Christ lives again. He died, he was buried, he rose again. It's a gospel-proclaiming church. You proclaim the gospel until he comes, and you'll live until he comes if you continue to devote yourselves. We are a Christ-centered community of people, and we get that he died for us. That was the third thing they were devoted to, gospel-centered. And the last, again, it's definite article, the prayers, the prayers. They were a praying church. They prayed together, and probably there were some prayers that they actually um, made, and they were Old Testament prayers. They were going to temple, so they were still saying some of the prayers of the Old Testament, and then there were new prayers that were being written and recited by them, prayers um, that were prayers of, here's an anachronism for you, Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication or requests. And we say we want to be people of prayer. So we, we praise God in our praying. We confess our sins to God and ask for his forgiveness and grace through Jesus. We thank God for all things and we bring our requests. And God was never intended to give prayer to us that it would be our wish list that we would just say, Lord, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Amen right? God's not a genie. He's our God. And so we enter into his presence praying, hallowed be thy name. You are worthy of all praise. Uh, Forgive me my sins as I forgive others who have sinned against me. That's my prayer. Please give me this day my daily bread. And most of us have so much. And lead us not into temptation. Let let us be people who are holy in our life. They devoted themselves to the prayers, people who were committed to praying. You know, Jesus said, ask what you will and I will do it for you. He taught a parable in Luke chapter 18 that you should be like the, the woman who just keeps knocking on the door. He taught that you would be persistent in prayer and not lose heart. Not lose heart. Have you lost heart in praying, saying, oh, God hasn't done it? Is that easy? It's easy to lose heart in prayer. And so we come back to this word, they devoted themselves. And maybe you not need to crank up again. All right, I'm going to start praying. And I'm going to pray for one or two things every week. Put it in your little journal and say, I'm going to be committed to praying. And what, what should I pray for? You pray that thy will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in me, Lord. I want to pray that that will happen. Uh, we should pray at all times in the spirit. Okay, those four things. Got it? Oh, what happened when they were devoted to that? The next verse, verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles are present, founding the church by um, affirming the teaching with miraculous signs, apostolic miracles. And remember, we said the signs were simply pointing to the veracity of the teaching and to the reality of the God behind it all. The signs were not anything in and of themselves except this point that this is true, unmistakably. Let's just think about this. Awe, a sense of fear. What's that? I think probably a lot of people come to church and say, awe. It's not that. I'm sorry if you've ever come to church and felt that. 
It's like, ah, I heard from God today. I pray all week that what happens here is you hear from God. And God says something to you in church that you didn't hear all week, in all the other messages that you're bombarded with, you come here and you say, oh, yes, that's God. I will follow that. A sense of God's presence in his people. Something beyond programming, something beyond smoke and lights, something beyond what could be humanly orchestrated. There is a sense that when God's people come together to share around the word, to share around the table, to share fellowship and to pray together, God shows up and does something that no human being, no pastor could ever orchestrate in the soul and the mind of his church. And if we don't have that, we might as well go home. We might as well go home. We want to be here to hear from God, right? And we have this sense that God is doing something on the campus. I, I pray today that you'll, you'll go away thinking, I need to pray for Mel and all the other staff up at CU because something's happening. And God, where do you want that to happen in my world? That I could be a vehicle through which the good news of Jesus could be heard. Because the church that's sensing the presence of God is a church that will not die. Now, the next verses tell us something else altogether. And here's where you see the word believers. And all who believed, they're the believers, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What do you think of that? They had all things in common. They were a collection of people, poor, wealthy, economically different, but gathered together around the same teaching and belief that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he's worthy to be worshipped, and this message has to go out in all the world, and there are needy among us. So those with much sold some of what they had. It doesn't, sell, doesn't indicate they sold everything that they had. But something happened in their heart and mind that they released the wealth that they possessed in order to meet the needs of the needy among them so that at this point there were no needy among them. It wasn't equal sharing then of everything. And it wasn't legislated but we'll see a phrase in a verse that comes that there is just this internal generosity that is spurred in the soul to say, my stuff is God's stuff, and if God's people have needs, my stuff can be used for them. American Christians, could you say amen to that? We have to fight against this all day long. We have to be on guard about saying, well, this is my stuff, and this is what I give to God. What do we know? We know that all that we have comes from Him. The, the ability to make wealth comes from God. 
And all that we see here is this overwhelming sense that God is present in the fellowship. And so nobody thought of their own stuff as their own stuff. But is there a need here? If I give to that need, will I be without or will God meet my needs? What I know is that if I sense that my things are really God's things and he wants me to share it here, God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I know that indisputably. So I don't hold so tightly to my things that my things would be an obstacle that would keep me from loving God most by loving my things most. Get it? So if the apostles' teaching was one and the fellowship was two and the breaking of bread was three and prayers was four, I would say that five, it shows up here, is a generosity and a sense of stewardship that my things are God's things and wherever he wants them, I'm going to let them go. Now, I'm not preaching leaning in about money right now, okay? And I want to say, I'm so happy to be a part of a church like Calvary that has demonstrated historical generosity in an overwhelming way. I, I thank you for that. I simply want to say, that's a pattern. And how would you say you're devoted to generosity? The church that's generous will not die. And that's why we went to Erie. That's why we may go to Thornton. That's why we're on the campus. That's why we support 50 missionaries around the world. Why? Because the church that's generous is the church that won't die. I, I love this about this text. We have to move on. Verse 46, though. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread together. That's probably just having meals together. Whereas the formal remembering of the breaking of bread, perhaps. And they received their food with gladness. And there it is, in generous hearts. Their hearts were generous. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? They're having favor in the community that people are looking at the church and saying, wow, what is it about them? I got to check that out. That's what we dream about Calvary, being the kind of church where people say, I, I want to be around that. Those people love each other. Those people are generous. Those people aren't selfish. Those people aren't self-focused. They're focused on a mission bigger than themselves, and they seem to have a sneaking suspicion that this life is not all there is. Right. They had favor with all the people. And I'll admit that the church and Christians and... Uh, the evangelicals don't have favor with all the people, right? Now you, you, you talk about it being an evangelical in today's world, and like, I want to say I'm not an evangelical, not the way you think of it. I'm an evangelical where I say I'm, I'm locked in on the gospel of Jesus, but don't put any political message on my evangelical. Let my evangelical be I preach the good news that you're lost without Jesus, but he loves you and he gave his life for you. That's the evangel. That's the good news. I'm that. But don't link me with anything else that I don't have anything, any control over that sh shadows me in a way I don't want to be shadowed. Do you know what I mean? The church has favor with all people. Yeah. We're a little bit uphill sledding because we've been, uh, we've missed opportunities and we've been hijacked a little bit. But we come back to these primary things. 
I, I think there's hope. Now, we're going to see persecution where they didn't have favor with all the people, so it's not like a universal promise. People are going to die. That's coming. But today it's happy. <laughs> they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's evangelism happening. People are getting saved. Their lives are being changed. And the church that's thinking about evangelism and leading people to faith in Christ is a church that will not die. That's the church I want to be a part of. And it starts by being gospel-centered. And so in a minute, we're going to take communion together. As you've reflected on these things, I wonder if you could just say in your heart, Lord, where am I on my love of Scripture, my praying, uh, my gospel-centered life, my love for other people, my generosity? And if there's anything you need to tune up with God, just do it in this quiet moment. Before you say, by eating the bread, hey, listen, before you eat this bread, do a little reflection in your soul. You died that I would be your bride without spot or wrinkle. And if there's a wrinkle, man, I want to, I want to straighten it out. If there's a spot, I want your grace to forgive it. And I want to eat this bread and say the most important thing in my life is Jesus. Okay, let's pray together silently. If you're helping to serve, would you come? In a moment, we're going to eat a piece of bread That bread will be the reminder of the broken body of Christ. And we'll eat it with thanksgiving. But let's pray silently. Oh, Father, this beautiful aspiration of the church would not be possible without Jesus. But he loved the church and gave himself up that he might forgive us and bring us into your family. And this through his sacrifice on the cross, his death and burial and resurrection. Today as we eat the bread and drink the cup, I pray By the work of your Holy Spirit, you will tune our hearts to you. Let it it be a compass and a north star that today we align our lives to be people of the church you're building, people who follow Jesus. And we follow you now as we eat, we repent of our sins, we believe you afresh and we worship you with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.